The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk/audible for further details. Order questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Stephen Hepburn. Go on, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole house will wish to join me in remembering Rifleman VJ Rye from 2nd Battalion, the Royal Gurkha Rifles. He was a talented and dedicated soldier, and our deepest sympathies should be with his family and his friends. He was proud to be a Gurkha, and it's at times like these that we especially remember the deep debt of gratitude that we owe all those brave soldiers. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others and in addition to my duties in the house I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Stephen Hepburn. Uh, can I commend and share the views of the Prime Minister concerning our brave military personnel? Is the Prime Minister aware that uh, this year we're commemorating the 75th anniversary of the Jarrow march? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And isn't it wrong that even today people in this country live in fear? of the dole yeah, and unemployment. Yeah. The government have been in one year and already we're back to the 1980s. Yeah. Can I ask the Prime Minister a simple question? Is he going to be supporting workers or is he going to be sacrificing them? Yeah. I believe we need to be supporting people and helping them back into work. We should we should commemorate the Jarrow march as he as he says and I notice it has been commemorated this year we have a challenge right across the country as we see numbers employed in the public sector inevitably go down and that would be happening whoever was standing at this dispatch box we've got to make sure there are more jobs in the private sector and in the northeast what we do see which is worthwhile is Nissan is creating 200 new jobs Hitachi up to 500 new jobs the Lear corporation an extra 300 jobs and BT are creating an extra 280 jobs in South Shields there are half a million more private sector jobs compared with them at the time or new jobs compared with the time of the last election but i recognize we need to do more and that's what the work programs all about mr oliver colville i congratulate uh, my right honorable friend on his joint on his joint declaration with the canadian prime with his joint declaration with the Canadian Prime Minister on ocean renewable energy. Uh, obviously we now need to make sure that we have growth in our economy. May I ask as to what he thinks universities such as Plymouth which have a very good reputation for marine science ocean research can actually do to try and help make sure that we deliver that. We're grateful. Prime Minister Well, I, I commend my honourable friend for his question because there are a number of universities right across our country, and including in Edinburgh as well, which I've visited the university there, that are leaders in marine renewable energy. And yesterday, my right honourable friend, the Climate Change Secretary, announced that we will be going ahead with the renewable obligation certificates, making sure that we boost this vital industry and we attract jobs to this country for off offshore wind and for other renewable technologies. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Rifleman VJ Rye from 2nd Battalion, the Royal Gurkha Rifles. In joining the army, he was following in a proud family tradition. He showed the utmost courage and bravery, and our deepest condolences are with his family and friends. Yeah. Mr Speaker, the revelations over the last week 
about what has been going on in the most sensitive department at the heart of the Prime Minister's Government are deeply worrying. The former Defence Secretary had an unofficial adviser with access to top officials in the military and indeed foreign governments, funded by undeclared private donations solicited by him. Yet the Prime Minister says he and Number 10 knew nothing about these goings-on for 18 months. How did he allow this to happen? Well, first of all, I agree with the right honourable gentleman that this is an important and serious issue, and that is why I set up a full and proper inquiry by the Cabinet Secretary, and he's produced that report, and the report has been published in full. And I do think it's worth, uh, Mr. Speaker, actually recognising that in this case, the Secretary of State for Defence recognised that he had made a mistake, acknowledged that he broke the ministerial code. And he resigned. That is not something that always happened in the last 13 years. Mr Speaker, a piece of advice to the Prime Minister. This week of all weeks, show a bit of humility, eh? And, And the truth is, and the truth is, and the truth is, we still don't know the full facts about this case, about the money trail, about who exactly in the government met Mr Werity. And it is becoming clear that there are a network of individuals who funded Mr Werity, some with close links to the Conservative Party and other members of the Cabinet. Now, given that he says, given that he says he, knows nothing about, he knew nothing about the arrangements of the former Defence Secretary, can he now give this House a categorical guarantee that over the last 18 months, no other government minister has been engaging in similar activities. I think we should have a little bit of humility from the people who gave us cabs for hire, passports for favours, mortgages for mates, dodgy dossiers, smearing opponents, good days to bury bad news. I do note, Mr Speaker, these are the questions that he was meant to ask last week. Perhaps I've got a bit of advice for him. If you're going to jump on a bandwagon, make sure it's still moving. Mr Speaker, no answers to the questions that people want answered. This is a Prime Minister and we see a pattern of activity with him. A pattern of activity. He doesn't ask the tough questions of those around him. And when anything goes wrong, it's nothing to do with him. Now, now what did he say in the ministerial code that he published? What did he say, Mr Speaker? He said, it's not enough simply to make a difference. We must be different. And and in the last three months, we've seen his defence secretary resign in disgrace and his spin doctor arrested. Is that what he meant by being different? The right honourable gentleman seems to have failed to notice that the ministering question has resigned. You're just a bit late. (laughs) Mr Julian Brazier. Thank you very much. Would my right honourable friend agree that at a time when... Yeah, Mr Brazier. Would my right honourable friend agree that at a time when the Governor of the Bank of England has said that we're facing a possibly unprecedented economic crisis, it's a good thing that this country is still committed to getting our debts under control and to to retaining credibility in the financial markets? 
I think my right honourable friend makes an important point, and I do think people should listen to what the Governor of the Bank of England said yesterday when he said that with a lower level of sterling and a credible plan to reduce the fiscal deficit over the medium term, we were on track. But the problems in the euro area and the marks slowing in the world economy have lengthened the period over which a return to normality is likely. That is what we face in this country, but it means we should stick to the plan of dealing with our debts and our deficit. And if we listen to the party opposite and added £23 billion to the deficit this year, it wouldn't be Greekonomics, it would be Freakonomics. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has acknowledged that there was collusion in the murder of Pat Finucan. Does he accept that in order to get to the bottom of that, we have to get to the top of that? And does he recognise that many of us lack confidence that a desk review by even an eminent lawyer is going to be able to do that? And will he reflect further on the grave misgivings expressed by the Finucan family and the Irish Government? Of course I understand the scepticism of the Honourable Gentleman, and of course there was great scepticism by many at the time of the Savile Inquiry about whether that would get to the truth. I think what matters most of all is the intent of the British Government in uncovering what happened, being frank about it, acknowledging it and apologising for it. That is what we're going to do. You don't need an open-ended inquiry to achieve that. So to those who are sceptical, I know they'll go on being sceptical. I would just ask them to have an open mind, and I believe we can deal with this issue properly. Mr Martin Horwood. Uh, will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Cheltenham Borough Council on building the first new council housing in 20 years and planning more and more affordable housing on brownfield sites, but also recognise their anxiety that the first draft of the new national planning policy framework could render them powerless to defend vital and treasured green spaces on the urban fringe, which are being deliberately targeted by developers. Well, first of all, let me reassure him on the planning policy, because we're not making changes to Greenbelt or other protections, and I'm sure he can discuss that with the planning minister. What I would say to him, of course, I congratulate all local councils that get on and build the badly needed houses we need to house the homeless and to deal with overcrowding, and I'm sure he will welcome the announcements that have been made, and the Deputy Prime Minister and I have been working closely on this, to make sure that we use money from the right to buy to build more social housing so we end the scandal of of overcrowded housing. Steve Rotherham. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I thank you and your staff and put on record my gratitude to the Home Secretary and all sides of the House for their support for the Hillsborough families during Monday's debate? Will the Prime Minister acknowledge that governments have made mistakes, that 22 years is 22 years too long to fight for the truth, and that if it is proven that there was an orchestrated cover up? despite two decades passing, justice should still prevail and those really responsible for the Hillsborough disaster should be brought to book. Well, first of all, let me say to the Honourable Gentleman that last week I promised him that the time for his debate would be properly protected and the House would have a proper time to debate it, which it did. And this week I can tell him that, yes, we are going to open up those papers and publish those papers as we promised so people can uh, see what was happening. I would say, though, it is important to remember that the Taylor inquiry was a proper and thorough investigation. There wasn't just an inquiry into what happened. It also led to huge changes in the way that we um, manage and arrange football in in this country. But Hillsborough was a national tragedy. I'm hugely sympathetic to the families of, of, of the victims, and I'm sure there are regrets for all of the institutions involved at the time, including the government. 
Mr Damien Hines. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has already given his backing to National Heroes Day this Friday, the 21st of October. Will he join in commending the hundreds of schools taking part, celebrating inspirational role models and raising money for uh, help for heroes? I'm very pleased to do that. I'm a huge uh, fan of Help for Heroes. I think it's been a remarkable story how that charity has grown. I've seen for myself uh, the extraordinary efforts they've made at Headley Court, where they have uh, built this extraordinary swimming pool, which is used by so many people who are recovering uh, from from their injuries in Afghanistan and elsewhere. And I'm certainly pleased to support what my honourable friend says. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, last week we heard that unemployment Unemployment was at its highest level since the last Conservative government. This week we heard that retail price inflation was at its highest level since the last Conservative government. Does the Prime Minister still think his plan is working? Well, actually, to, to, to put him right, CPI, which is the measure of inflation we all, we all now recognise, the last time CPI was as high as this was in 2008, when he was in government. I think that is quite an important point to note. No, of course, inflation is too high. The principal reasons for inflation being so high are world food prices, world fuel prices, the depreciation, depreciation of sterling, and yes, there was an effect from the increase in VAT, just as there was an effect when he increased VAT at the beginning of 2010. But the reason for increasing VAT is to get on top of the record deficit the last government left. Mr Speaker, as always, the Prime Minister says it's just like that in the rest of the world. We've got the highest inflation of any other EU country apart from Estonia. And it's because of the decisions that he made, including including the decision he made on VAT. Week in, week out, the evidence mounts that his plan is not working and he just refuses to change course. Now, last week, we heard that his flagship national insurance scheme hadn't worked. Now let me ask him about his flagship regional growth fund, which he launched 16 months ago. Can he tell us how many businesses have had cash paid out under the scheme? First of all, let me just put him right on this issue. It is important. One of the reasons reasons why Britain has such a difficult situation with inflation is we were the country with the biggest boom and the biggest bust of any major European country. He cannot hide from that. The Regional Growth Fund is going to be distributing billions of pounds of money right across the country, and it's a thoroughly worthwhile scheme that he should be supporting. I don't think he knows the answer, Mr Speaker. (laughs) Well, Well, Mr Speaker... They've certainly issued lots of press releases about the Regional Growth Fund. 22. But how many businesses have been helped in the last 16 months? Two businesses have been helped. Two businesses in 16 months. And how many businesses have gone bankrupt in that time, Mr Speaker? 16,000. What greater example could there be of the way this government's plan is not working? We've had 18 months of his economic experiment. And what's he got to show for it? More and more people losing their jobs, more and more businesses going bust, and inflation going through the roof. And all we've got is a Prime Minister who's hopelessly out of touch. Because, because all he wants to do is talk down the economy. Yeah. Yeah. He's not. He won't, he won't mention the fact there are 300,000 new businesses have started. There are half a million people who've got jobs who didn't have them uh, at the time of the election. 
But the big question for the right honourable gentleman is if he doesn't like our plan, where is his plan? We now know, we now know his plan to deal with our debts is 20. Order! Organised barracking is not acceptable. The Prime Minister. Order! The Prime Minister's answer must be heard. The Prime Minister. His plan is to add £23 billion to Britain's deficit this year and almost £100 billion to our deficit by the end of the Parliament. There is not one single country in Europe that would have such a crazy plan. Such a crazy plan that you deal. You. most grateful to the Shadow Chancellor for his advice, but I would like to apply it to the House as a whole. The House as a whole must calm down, otherwise it will be in need of medical treatment. The Prime Minister. Thank you. The, the problem is, it was his advice that got us into this mess in the first place. When is he going to learn? There is not a single country in Europe that thinks you deal with your debts by adding to your debts. That's why no one listens to him here or in Europe. Subri. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, a report was published into the serious failings by Nottinghamshire Police to protect a young woman who went on to be murdered by her violent partner. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that it's imperative that all police forces have the practices, the policies, and the training to protect women from violent men? Yeah. I absolutely agree with my right, with my honourable friend, and the point she makes is an important one because some police forces have made huge step forward in how we deal with domestic violence, but not all have, and we need to spread that best practice and recognise that right across the country. Pat Glass. The Association of College Principals has just announced the largest fall in college enrolments since 1999, and cite the abolition of EMA as a major factor. This is a tragedy. It's a tragedy of the government's own making, and it lies directly at the door of the Secretary of State for Education. Yeah, yeah. What is the Prime Minister going to do to put this right? Yeah. Well, I think she'll find that what the figures actually show is that some enrolments at some colleges have actually gone up. And actually, if you look at our replacement for EMA, it is a well-funded scheme that will be much better targeted on those people in need. And the people who really need the extra money will get more than under EMA. Mr Neil Parrish. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The uh, families in the country are facing very high fuel bills and there's a vested interest by the big fuel companies, the six big ones, not to allow competition into the market. Could I ask the Prime Minister what exactly he is doing to bring more competition to get prices down? Well, one, one of the things that we are doing is insisting that the big six have to make more of their energy available into a pooling arrangement so that new businesses can come into this industry. The reason we have to do this is the last government abolished the pooling arrangements and created the situation with the big six, and we don't need to have to ask who the energy secretary was during that government. We're looking at him. Mr Tom Greatrix. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given the importance of carbon capture and storage, both as a way of helping reduce our carbon emissions and also as an exportable technology to help rebalance the economy. Will the Prime Minister now put his words into action and step in to ensure that the Loganet demonstration project goes ahead? Yeah. Yeah. 
What I can say to the Honourable Gentleman is the funding that we set aside for carbon capture and storage is still there. That funding will be made available. Clearly, the Longanet scheme isn't working in the way that they intended, but the money from the government, the support from the government for this vital technology is there. Dr John Pugh. Mr Speaker, given the huge savings the nation actually made by the Cabinet Office across government without legislation and the huge financial risks provoked by constant structural reorganisation as in the NHS, would it not be better if politicians learned to manage more and meddle less, even if governments find the latter easier and more interesting? I, I think uh, my honourable friend makes an important point, and let me pay tribute actually to the right honourable gentleman, the member for Horsham, who does this very patient work at the heart of government and do- doesn't always get recognised for it. But we have actually reduced management consultants by 70%, saving £870 million. We've spent £490 million less on temporary labour. We've spent £400 million less on marketing and advertising. That is an 80% reduction. These are serious changes to cut the cost of central government and make sure we provide good value for money. None of these things were done under the last government. Mr John Speller. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Before the election, the Prime Minister claimed that anyone caught carrying a knife should expect to go to prison. Has he read Brooke Kinsella's article in today's Sun revealing that 40% of all knife crime is carried out by under-18s? Why won't he deliver on his promise and put them in jail? Well, we are doing something that the last government failed to do, which is to create a mandatory sentence for adults who are caught with knives to make sure that happens. Andrew Rosendell. You will be aware that the British people are simply crying out for a referendum on the future of Europe. Will he please make history and follow the example of great Prime Ministers like Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher and give the British people the chance to vote on our future with the European Union. Let me say, I completely understand and share the frustration that many have about the way the European Union goes about its business, about the costs, about the bureaucracy. But I have to say, I think the key focus here is let's get on top of the EU budget, let's keep Britain out of the bailout schemes, let's make sure that the single market is working. Of course, we are committed, as a Conservative Party, committed to the return of powers from Westminster, from Brussels to Westminster. We are also committed, as a government, that if power passes from Brussels, from Westminster to Brussels, there would have to be a referendum. That promise is good for the whole of this Parliament and beyond. But I don't support holding a referendum, come what may. That is not our policy, and I will not be supporting that motion. Campbell. We are all aware of the bravery and courage of our armed forces as they serve in Afghanistan. Last November, Ranger Aaron McCormick, from just outside Coleraine in my constituency, died in Helmand Province. He was one of many who paid the highest price to defend freedom. His commanding officer said, Today there is a gap in our ranks which no ordinary man can fill. He was the best of his country and we mourn his loss. Will the Prime Minister ensure that a review is carried out into the way the Ministry of Defence prepares its honours list so that families will see that the entire nation recognises the sacrifice and the selflessness of these brave men and women? 
Well, I will certainly look very carefully at what the Honourable Gentleman says and perhaps arrange a meeting with him and the Minister for uh, our, our Veterans and these uh, affairs, the Honourable Member for Right Honourable Member for Blaby. I think that would be a good thing to do. Let me just say again, I have the highest possible regard for the professionalism, for the courage, for the dedication of our forces. We paid a very high price in Afghanistan and in Iraq for what we've had to do there. And I think the whole country, actually, in perhaps a little bit of a contrast to what he says, I think the whole country recognises that and feels that very strongly and are looking for new ways to recognise what our armed forces do. That is why there's such strong support for Help for Heroes. That's why there's such now strong support for homecoming parades, for lists of honours, for the military covenant and all of those things. I think we should go on looking at what more we can do to recognise their service and sacrifice. Mr Adrian Sanders. Inaccurate and reporting about and statements about a European directive that applies to insulin-dependent diabetics sees up to a million such people fearing for their driving licence. Mm. But is it not the case that it is the Department of Transport and how it interprets this directive that will determine whether or not somebody loses their licence? Will the Prime Minister make the position clear? Yeah. Yeah. I, I will certainly try and do that. I quite understand my honourable friend's uh, concern, and it's shared by many uh, insulin-treated diabetics right across the country who want to be able to go on driving and uh, freely as they've done in the past. I can reassure my honourable friend that relatively few insulin-treated diabetics will, be, will lose their licence as a result of this directive. And the DVLA is actually going back to the European Commission to check its understanding of the interpretation of the minimum standards of this directive. As, as we all know, I think probably on all sides of the House, on too many occasions, departments, gold plate directives. And uh, it can't be said too often that they should stop it. Mr Angus Robertson. Speaker, today we learned that the British Airports Authority is to sell Edinburgh Airport. Does the Prime Minister agree that it's important for the Scottish economy that we have as many direct international routes and services as possible? Why then? Does he not listen to the views of the four major airports and transport Scotland who wish to see the devolution of air passenger duty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will listen carefully to these arguments. I think the most important thing is that the investment goes into the infrastructure of our airports. And uh, I've, you know, I know firsthand Edinburgh Airport has superb facilities and they're going on being improved. But in terms of air passenger duty, we'll go on listening to those arguments. Sam Geemer. Um, does the Prime Minister agree with me that to tear down the apartheid in the education system, as he argued for a few weeks ago, well-performing private schools should not only support underperforming state schools on an ad hoc basis, but we should go further and encourage them to federate? Well, I think my honourable friend makes a, a, an excellent suggestion. This is, I think, should be a cross-party initiative, and I pay tribute to Lord Adonis, who I think has actually made some extremely important speeches on this issue. I, there's a real opportunity for independent schools, like Wellington has done, like Dulwich College have done, like Brighton College have done, to sponsor academies in the state sector. I think we can see the breaking down of the barriers between independent and state education. I think this is a great way forward, and I hope it will have all parties' support. Mr Speaker, a change in the national targets regime and cuts have led to the emergency services in Greater Manchester being in disarray. A stroke victim had to wait for an hour for an ambulance. The response time uh, of the fire service has doubled in parts of Greater Manchester and the police uh, switchboard is in, in meltdown. What reassurances can the Prime Minister give to the House that there won't be a tragic death because of this failure of the service? 
Well, I, I'll look carefully at what the Honourable Gentleman says. What I would say about health funding specifically is we're actually carrying out the £20 billion efficiency savings suggested by the now shadow health secretary. But the difference between the policy his party supports and our policy is that we're putting all of those savings back into the NHS, whereas the official Labour position is that increasing spending on the health service in real terms is, and I quote, irresponsible. Well, we think it's irresponsible not to increase spending. Jason McCartney. Uh, Thank thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. David Brown's engineering in Lockwood, in my constituency, have been in receipt of a regional growth fund investment that will help to create 80 new jobs. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that despite the mithering and doom-mongering opposite, And with that in mind, will he consider coming to open the new Innovation and Enterprise Centre at Huddersfield University in the spring? The Prime Minister. Thank you. Um, what, a, what a delightful invitation. And can I, can I thank my honourable gentleman? I, think, oh, uh, I want to hear about the Prime Minister's travel plans to Huddersfield. The Prime Minister. Thank you very much. Well, I look forward to some travel plans to Huddersfield. I think what he's managed to show is... The, the Leader of the Opposition's first lot of questions were irrelevant and the second lot were probably wrong. Yeah, Mr yeah, Ian yeah. Austin. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the answer the Prime Minister just gave to my right honourable friend, the Member for Warley, just isn't, isn't good enough. The fact is, despite all his promises, fewer people caught carrying knives are going to prison under this Government than the last. Yeah. So we, will he apologise today to Brooke Kinsella and other bereaved families of victims of knife crime for breaking the promises he made that he would take a tougher approach. I am full of admiration for the campaign that Brooke Kinsella has run. I think it's an incredibly brave thing when you have suffered a loss like that in your own family to get out there and campaign for change, not just change in the law, but also change in the way the police behave, change in the way young people behave. I think she is a thoroughly, thoroughly good uh, individual with a very great campaign. What we are doing under this government, which the last government didn't do, is have a mandatory sentence for knife crime, and that will be introducing in our forthcoming bill. The Robert Buckland. My right honourable friend, join me in supporting the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists Giving Voice campaign, which is rightly emphasising the central importance of speech, language and communication in tackling a wide range of social issues. I will certainly join my honourable friend in doing that, and I know, Mr Speaker, this is an issue in which you take a close personal interest as well. For anyone who has brought up disabled children knows the absolutely vital importance of speech and language therapists, knows that there often aren't enough of them uh, to provide all the help and the services that we need, know that getting their services through the statementing process can be extremely tough, so I certainly uh, agree with what he says. Mr Russell Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, we know that officials from other governments were given the impression that the former Defence Secretary's uh, unofficial adviser represented the UK Government. How many people in total were misled, and will he provide a list? 
what, what, what the honourable gentleman should do is read the report by the cabinet secretary, and he will find in there all the details he needs about uh, what Mr. Werity was doing. But I have to say, it comes slightly ill from a party to lecture us on lobbying when we now know the former defence secretary is working for a helicopter company, the former home secretary is working for a security firm, Lord Mandelson, well, he's at Lazard's. Um, and even the, even the former leader, the former leader, the Prime Minister, I was just checking, in the last few months he's got £120,000 for speeches to Credit Suisse, Visa and Citibank. He told us he'd put the money into the banks. We didn't know he'd get it out so quickly. Mr Mark Pritchard. Thank We must hear Mr Pritchard. Uh, returning uh, to Europe, does the Prime Minister accept that moves towards fiscal union within the Eurozone will ultimately undermine the single market and the United Kingdom? Look, I, I think my honourable friend makes an extremely important point, which is that while we believe that the logic of a single currency drives the Eurozone towards greater fiscal integration, this does pose particular threats and risks to those of us who want the single market to work properly. And at the European Council this weekend, I think it's important to argue for safeguards to make sure that the single market remains robust and properly protected. That is what we must do in the short term. Of course, in the longer term, it may be that there will be further moves toward further treaties and all the rest of it. And at that stage, there may be opportunities to bring further powers back to Britain, and there may indeed be opportunities for a referendum. But not, I believe, the right answer is not to hold a referendum willy-nilly in this Parliament when we have so much to do to get Europe to sort its problems out. Mr. Michael Meacher. The statutory register... Uh, of lobbyists, uh, will the Prime Minister also ensure that so-called think tanks, whose propaganda is clearly aimed to manipulate both ministers and the public for their own ends, should also be required to reveal who ultimately funds them, so that we all know whose interests they really represent? We are committed to having a statutory register for lobbyists. I think it does need to be put in place, and also it needs to include, as the All Right Honourable Gentleman says, uh, think tanks and other organisations, it also needs to include one of the biggest lobbies of all, the lobby that owns the party opposite, lock, stock and trade union barrel, the trade unions. Order, statement. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.